1 Thessalonians 2. Just one verse today that we're going to use in the context, create a little bit of context. You know, I tried to, uh, I tried to move away from a little bit of the, um, the, the vein or the theme that I was on for the last two weeks, and I just couldn't quite do it yet. My heart was not ready to let go of this. And uh, so it's kind of in the context of apologetics and the defense of the faith and what we believe and why we believe. And uh, I'm just not ready to relinquish that and to transition into another thought process. I know there are other pastors who are more gifted than I am that can sit down and, pa- and plan their sermons weeks and months in advance. And they can do this series and that series and this ser- series. But for me, I just when I get a word in my heart, I just kind of stay with it until I extinguish that thought. And then I move from, uh, there move on from there, uh, but I just can't let go of this. So I'm in the 13th verse. It's one verse. Paul is writing, and he says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. So let's just read that and kind of break it down for a moment. Paul said that I'm thanking God on your behalf just unceasingly, just meaning in his private devotions when he thought about the people at Thessalonica, he gave a heartfelt expression of gratitude to God for this cause. What cause was that? When ye received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God. Isn't that powerful? Paul said that when you received the message that we shared with you, you received it not as the word of men. It came through men. It was a it was, the Bible says we have this treasure in an earthen vessel. It was a mortal man that preached it, taught it, exhorted it. But he said that you recognize that it was, though it came through a man, it was not of man. And that's what Peter said in the epistle last week, that holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so here he says, but it is in truth the word of God. Now look at this, this last phrase, it will effectually worketh also in you that believe. And so if you believe it, it's going to work in your life. Now, if you don't believe it, then it's been nice having you in church with us today. We have, you know, we've had a warm time together for an hour, hour and a half. But if you believe it, it will radically alter and transform your life from the inside out. And every day will be a conformity to the will of God. So I'm kind of put a little bit of a thought or a question, and, and, uh, but it's really about, it's not the word of men, but rather it is the word of God. That's the thought today. Not the word of men, but rather the word of God. So let's pray. Father, I love you, and I'm grateful. Father, I'm so humbled to be amongst this church family, and I'm grateful they've come out, Father, following Thanksgiving and joined their their faith with mine and all those that are gathered here. And we're just going to, we're going to sit at your table today, Father. I pray, God, many of us have had the spirit of Martha the last few days. And we've been cumbersome in our busyness of our, of our preparing meals and cleaning. And then they, some moved to shopping and, Father God, and, and all the activities. But today, Father, but today we want the spirit of Mary to rest on us. For we remember the record that says that Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and she heard his word. And Jesus said she chose the good thing and it would not be taken away from her. And we are grateful for this moment in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. And you can be seated. If you don't mind, just very quickly, let me take a moment of time to kind of Backtrack. I just think that's important if I said this is kind of the third part in what would be kind of a series. 
If it's not a series, the messages are akin to each other, and they're drawn from a familiar theme. And I was in 2 Timothy two weeks ago, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to read a few of those verses in just a few moments. And I was alluding to that Paul used the term last days, eschatology in the sense that the study of the last days or last events. And I was not making a prophetic declaration. I wasn't sitting up here trying to sell anybody's book on end time events in any capacity. But Paul did cite certain things that he prophetically declared would take place in a particular time frame, whether it was in his life or whether it is progressive from his time till this time, or if it's reserved for a time immediately present before the return of the Lord Jesus, that he called perilous times, dangerous times. He alluded to that uh, there would be opposition to our faith. There would be those that would oppose us. He used the analogy of Janice and Jambres, the magicians that withstood Moses when he declared that God had spoken to him and the children of Israel were to be let go out of Egypt. And Paul warns us that there will be those that will oppose us. And he even said that they would resist the truth. He said that they would uh, be deceivers and they would, having been deceived themselves, and then he also just said, he said, I'm going to just warn you. He said, it's not going to get any better. He said, they're going to grow worse and worse. And so I'm not trying to put you in a fearful mode. I'm trying to put you in a prepared mode. I want you to be prepared because there is an enemy that uses anybody and anything that he can in order to, uh, to trip you up or ensnare you in your faith, right? We have an adversary, the Bible says plainly, don't we, who walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We're to resist him steadfastly in the faith. And yet, he'll use anything. He can use the educational system. He can use our political environment. He can use the cultural emphasis to, uh, to divert our attention from that which is holy and that which is good and that which is godly. And you and I have to be, and I've shared this with you, we have to be resolutely uh, established in the truth. I say it all the time. You've got to know what you believe and you need to know why you believe it. You need to have the Word of God. The Bible says you need to put root downward and bear fruit upward. You need to be a student of God's Word. So then I wasn't finished with that, and I found myself, once again, making the correlation this time from two epistles, the epistle of 2 Timothy and the epistle of 2 Peter, because I noticed a lot of similar phrases and phraseology in that particular epistle that matched the, uh, some of the things that Paul wrote about in 2 Timothy. And Peter is the one that bring it, brought a summary when he said, we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known to you, uh, you know, his majesty. He said, but we were eyewitnesses of the Lord. I love that. I've been meditating upon it all week. I just, I, or for two weeks now. It's not a fable. This is not a fable. We have put our trust. I know that if you go to some of the colleges and universities here in our great land, and they will convince you that Charles Darwin was right. But as for me, I put my trust in a simple fisherman by the name of Peter who said, I was there with him on the holy mountain. And I heard a voice that was supernatural that confirmed the ministry and the man, Christ Jesus. And I, that apostle Peter said, we have therefore a more sure word of prophecy that you do well to give heed to until the day dawns and the day star arises in your heart. And as for me in my house, I'm trusting, I am trusting the word of God. Are y'all with me? Does that sound like the sermon that I preached? And so that was just a little 
nugget of it, and you can go back if you want to and listen to it on the podcast at uh, HebrewFirst.com, and you can catch up. But I want you to just be uh, aware of this. The Apostle Paul's the text I've chosen today. Once again, he, he is very quickly, he has a belief in the Scriptures. And let me just go ahead and tell you what the word Scripture, I've referenced this multiple times because I'm teaching slightly along this line as I teach the men at the other side. The word Scripture in the original language is graphe, and it means holy writ is the actual Strong's Concordance, Holy Writ. And so when we think about the Scriptures, we think that God gave us the very first holy written literature, not man. Now, men now write or wrote days gone by as they were inspired of the Holy Spirit. Yes, but the very first record, the very first uh, piece of written literature did not come to us by the finger or the pen of man. But it was God on Mount Sinai that upon two tablets of stone, he took the finger, his own finger, and he scripted out the Ten Commandments. And then he told Moses in Exodus 34 and 27, he said, I want you to write in tenor of these words or after the tenor of these words or in accordance with these words, the things which you have heard and seen, Moses. In essence, it teaches us that there has to be a collective harmony to the Word of God. The Word of God has come to us today from 40 different authors separated by three continents from uh, both Jew and even a couple of Gentiles thrown in there. Yet there is a, a, a harmonious thought from beginning beginning to end. It's a revelation of a man called Jesus. It's a revelation of the heart and the mind and the will of God, and you and I are privileged to have it. And some of you have it on an iPhone or an iPad, and some of us still believe in reading it from an old-fashioned book. And yes, I know it aggravates some of you. I use the authorized version, the King James Version, and I know it bothers you because I say thee and thou and all that. will get over it and get you a King James Bible, and you can flow with me. Come on, somebody. That was free. It wasn't in the notes. But Paul, who writes very quickly, he was a Jew, and he was a Pharisee and, uh, before his conversion. And he believed in the Scriptures. He believed in the, uh, the, the authority of the Word of God. He believed in the Scriptures to the first century Jew were broke down in three components. You and I think about the Scriptures, Old and New Covenant. They don't think of it that way. They thought of the Scriptures as the law. They thought of the Scriptures as the prophets and the writings. It was 24 canonical books, in the, but it was the 39 that we have, but they, some of those were consolidated. And so the Apostle Paul, even before his conversion, he believed in the Scriptures. And yet he's exhorting in 1 Thessalonians a belief in the Word of God. And the reason why I want to validate that Paul did believe in the Scriptures, the law, the prophets, and the writings, I want to go back real quickly to 2 Timothy. And so if you'll jump ahead in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter number 3, we'll just read this very, very quickly because I think it gives us that background information that we need. And if you'll stay with me, as always, there'll be a method to this madness. 2 Timothy 3, verse number 14, Paul is writing to his young apprentice, his, uh, men, he, the, the one that he's mentored in the Lord, uh, Timothy, he says, continue in the things that thou hast learned and hast been assured of. And I just love that. Paul is telling Timothy, you're going to be taught a lot of different things, but in order for you to become the man that God's called you to be, you've got to continue in these things, and you know from where they came from, and you are assured of these things. Let's go a little bit farther. And where did they come from? And where they were taught to him? From a child. And I've noted two weeks ago that Timothy's father was a Greek, but his mother and his grandmother were both Jews. So they brought Timothy up in a Jewish synagogue in a Jewish educational system. And it says, from a child you have known the holy scriptures. 
and they're able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And the scriptures that Paul is alluding to here is not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's not even his own epistles that some of them are just had, had, had not yet even made full circulation. Perhaps he's intending that, but I'm sure he's drawing attention to the scriptures that Timothy was raised in. And he said this, all scripture is given by what? Where does it come from? By inspiration of God. In the original language, it means God breathed. God breathed, put that together with what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter number 1, that the holy men of God spake as they were moved upon by the Holy Ghost. We believe the Word of God today to not be the teachings of men. We believe it to be the authoritative voice of God that's been captured by the pen of man. Right? And here Timothy, Paul, is writing to him, and he said, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God-breathed. And it's profitable for every one of us in this room. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness. For what purpose? He culminates in the 17th verse that the man, or you can even apply, or the woman of God in this context is perfect, which means mature, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. God's not going to leave you ill-equipped to face the things that he's asked you to do. That if you will set your heart, God will fully equip you to be the person God's called you to be. Whatever, whoever that is. You might be a single mother here. You say, I don't know how I can do this. I'll tell you how you can do it. Get the Word of God in your heart. Conform your life to the Word of God. And I'll tell you, you'll be thoroughly equipped to be the person God's called you to be. You may have lost or buried a loved one and you're a widow or a widower most recently. And you say, I don't know how I'll be equipped to face the challenges. I'm going to tell you how you're going to be equipped. You're going to get the Word of God in your heart and your life. You're going to become conformable to the Word of God, and God's going to prepare you for the new season of life that you find yourself in. You find yourself called of God. You find yourself with an unction to preach. You find yourself in your prayer time saying, God, I'm like Jeremiah. I want to be quiet. I don't want to preach. I don't want to teach. But your Word is like fire shut up in my bones, and so I cannot forbear. And you say, well, how am I going to have the confidence to stand before people and speak the Word of God? Because you're going to hide the good Word of God in your heart. You're going to read it, study it, and meditate upon it, and it's going to reprove you. It's going to correct you, and it's going to come on somebody, and it's going to equip you, and it's going to make you the man or the woman God. God's called you to be, and then you're going to be like me. You're going to be an ignorant, uh, uh, you know, hillbilly, but you're going to have a confidence in God and in the revelation of the Word of God that gives you a boldness to stand before people that you could easily be intimidated by, but because the Word is shut up in your heart, it gives you a great boldness, and you're going to speak it, and you're going to declare it. That's how it works. The Word of God produces such a, a majestical work of God in our hearts and lives. And so the apostle... In this process, then also in other places, he says the word that was written was written for our admonition. So today I'm primarily talking about the written word of God. It was written for our learning. I know you think you're very smart, and probably you are. But just because you're smart does not mean you stop learning. It's a continual process that through patience and comfort of the scriptures you'll have hope. I don't ever believe in being in a hopeless situation. Because as long as I've got the word, then I've got hope. As long as i got the Word in my heart, then God can give me hope in every situation in my life. As I've been studying, I've discovered, uh, and I entered into other men's labors concerning this, the Apostle Paul, in his 13 or 14 epistles that he writes in what we call the New Testament, he quotes from the Old Testament, not directly, but indirectly at times. I mean, he quotes many times directly, but indirectly, uh, just passages or phrases from the Old Testament 268 plus times. So the Apostle Paul's entire network of writing in the epistles is filled with direct quotes or phrases from the Old Testament Scriptures. 
it, it assures me this right here. The Apostle Paul believed this. He believed the words of Jesus. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Jesus said a verse, and it was Brother Ray Cawthorn that shared this with me many years ago. In John 5 and 39, Jesus told the religious leaders of his day, and he said this, search the scriptures. So he was not afraid. Jesus was not afraid to allude to the word of God. He said, search the scriptures, for in them, because they had a particular uh, a, a way that they studied the scriptures, and, and they had arrived at certain conclusions, and they were awaiting a Messiah who was standing in front of them. Right? The one that they were anticipating and hoping and longing for was standing there in flesh and blood, breathing breath right in front of them, exhaling right in front of them. And he turned and he said, if you're not going to believe because I'm here in the person, he said, search the scriptures and see. He said, for in the scriptures you think you have life, and they are they which testify about me. It seems as if Paul is convinced of that very same thing. And in this particular passage here, Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica. And let me take you on a small journey. And I'm going to probably have to omit a portion of this passage on the screen for the sake of time. What's unique about this writing in Thessalonica, or the church of Thessalonica, is we have a record of the founding of this church in the book of Acts. And so this is the Apostle Paul's uh, ministry as a missionary uh, 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 evangelist or a, an apostolic missionary, we find that Paul would usually go to a synagogue. That's where he would begin, even though he would preach to the Gentiles, and he defined himself as the apostle to the Gentiles. Often his missionary work would begin in the synagogue to his own people. There was a familiarity in a safe place where he could begin to teach. And in Acts chapter number 17, we find the record of what Paul is addressing in uh, in first or Second Thessalonians chapter number two. So, um, matter of fact, we should go ahead and put it on the screen, Angie. It would be wrong not to. Chapter seventeen, verse one. Y'all got time? <laughs> well, I felt the joy on that. Thank y'all. Yes. All right. I'll go ahead and shut it down now. They're ready to go. When they have passed through Amphilios, Shatakaya, and Apollonia, and Thessalonia, there, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Notice that where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Let's follow it for a minute. Second verse. And Paul, as his what was as his what manner was? This is how he did it. This is the way he went about his uh, his evangelism when he arrived at a new community, a Gentile community with a Jewish presence and a synagogue. He would always go to the synagogue first, and he went in unto them, and for three Sabbath days, that would be three weeks, correct? He reasoned with them out of the scriptures, out of the what? So he connected to their already held belief in Yahweh God. Now, in the synagogue in those days, there would have been a threefold makeup of the audience. First, there would have been Orthodox Jews, also known as the, those that were in Judaism, that were sold out, full apparel, prayer shawl, separation, men and women, all those things. Then there would have been what is known as uh, the, the Gentiles that had fully converted into Judaism. They were not born a Jew by natural lineage, but they had converted to Judaism, and they had been baptized and all those things and circumcised. Then you would have also had the God-fearers. The God-fearers were the Gentiles that had been influenced by the Jews but were not ready fully to enter into full-blown Judaism. That would have been his mixed bag of an audience that day or for these three Sabbath days. And Paul goes in and he reasons with them because he knows that every Sabbath day they read the Torah, they read the prophets, and they read the writings. And so Paul is willing to take his gifting and his knowledge and begin to articulate something. And what is he articulating? Third verse, very quickly we'll look at it. 
opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead and that this Jesus, Yeshua in the original language, whom I preach unto you is Christ. So Paul is confident enough to stand before this crowd of people that some of which may have never even heard the name of Jesus until he has ministered. And after three weeks of alleging back and forth, he's reasoning with them from the Word of God, he's pointing them to a suffering Messiah. Not a conquering king like they anticipated, not a warring king to bring in Zionism, but a suffering servant that came and bore the sins of all mankind. And he said, that's the Jesus that I preach unto you. And look at the fourth verse. And some of them believed. And what happened when they believed? When they believed, the Word of God promised to work effectively in their hearts and minds because they believed. But unfortunately, some of them did not. Fifth verse. And the Jews that believed not, they moved with envy, they agitated the community, they brought false accusations against the apostles, and before the whole thing could be done, Paul and Silas had to be sent away at night by the brethren, and they moved to the next city, Berea. So time and space has passed, and the apostle doesn't have access to an iPhone. He can't call from the city where he's now at and say, how are you doing? He can't FaceTime. And say, man, I see that you're worshiping God. But he's curious. He, he's, he's, he's hoping and praying that they that have begun in the faith have remained in the faith. But he's also aware of a tempter. He even writes in the later, if you were to take the time to read it in your own time, and say, in, in that passage in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, he said, when I could no longer forbear... Have you ever had that in your life in days gone by, especially when we didn't have information available at our fingertips the way that we do? Years gone by, remember, you could just wait on hearing a, a letter about how somebody was doing. Maybe somebody was in the military back 40 years ago, and you didn't know where they were or how they were going, and you just longed to get a letter from them to just see how they were doing. Paul said, when I could no longer forbear, I sent Timothy to you because I wanted to know how you're doing. I wanted to see if you've continued in the faith or if the tempter has tempted you and what did he say? Our labor be in vain. I can't tell you that same process, unfortunately, of the tempter coming in and causing people to stumble in unbelief has happened time and time and time again. It's happened over and over again in the 20-plus years that I've been preaching the gospel. Unfortunately, it's going to continue because the enemy comes immediately to steal the word. He comes to steal the word. And so Paul gets report back from Timothy that they have remembered his teaching, Paul's teaching. And they are fond of Paul, and they're looking forward to seeing him again. And it brings a great sense of relief in the apostle's heart. And he writes in this verse number 13, he remembers that moment when in the midst of even opposition, in the midst of those who did not believe, there were still some that when they heard, they believed. And when they believed, Paul said, you didn't receive our doctrine as the word of men because it's not the word of men. He said, the doctrine that we share with you is the word of God. And so that's what brought me to this place today, to this house, because I'm struggling in my spirit. I'm struggling in my spirit because, not because of my belief system, but because some that I see in the contemporary church, that some in the contemporary church are not convinced that the B-I-B-L-E is still the book for me. And they're unwilling to stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. 
And as the warning of Paul, they're falling prey to winds of doctrine. And they're not convinced. They'll, they'll choose a scientist over the Word of God. They'll choose an atheist over the Word of God. They'll choose a philosopher over the Word of God. They'll choose a historical record that's apart from the Word of God over the Word of God. But as for me, my faith and my basis of belief is that this is the authoritative Word of Almighty God. I've chosen to live my life by its precepts and principles. I believe in the context of this book from Genesis to Revelation. I believe that it was given by God to us so that we might know Him and commune with Him and have fellowship with Him. And that if I hear it and believe it, it is a supernatural force and it will work effectually in my life. It will put inside of me a hope that no man can take out of my heart. It will put inside of me a vision that you can take my sight, but you can't take my vision. Come on, it will put inside of me a belief system that you can take all of my worldly goods and you can take the house that I just built and you can put me on a desert island somewhere, but there will come a day that one day the trumpet will sound and I'll immediately appear with him in glory and then I'll live with e in eternity with God in the beauty of his creation, restored as, as God promised in the word of God. And so you can't take that out of my heart. You can't. When it's really rooted and grounded inside you, then the enemy can't go, but I'm afraid. Like Paul, I'm afraid many do not believe. You know, our studies show, and I've mentioned this before, and it's tragic when you really look at it. Thank God for youth groups and ministries. They're powerful, and Joe and Ann are an example of that. 13, 14 consecutive years in youth ministry. But studies show us that take 10 students from youth groups around the United States. Well, we've spent thousands of dollars facilitating youth ministry. We put them uh, through the teaching and training. and They go off to a secular campus somewhere, a university. Within 10 years, only three of 10 will be actively living out their faith because the tempter came in and tempted them. And they were not grounded and rooted in what they believe. Are y'all with me out there? Can I go a little bit farther today? I just got to. I know it's 11.54, but I got started late. Don't blame me. Blame Joe. Blame Shane. Blame Caleb. He got on that song, and then we had revival going on up in here. Come on now. So let's go a little bit farther. I want to take just a few moments today and talk about the Scriptures. Let me just do so. Did you know in the Assemblies of God, I say this uh, quite often, we're not the only boat floating. We're just a boat. Come on, we're not the only way in the means to facilitate the life stream of the body of Christ. And so I'm not trying to be critical of other places, but there's one thing I do believe in, the 16, what's called the fundamental truths of the assemblies of God. Now, those 16 fundamental truths, Dr. Bradford, number one is this right here. Did you know, I know when you think about assembly of God, Pentecostal people, we think about whether well, people of the Spirit. Long before people of the Spirit were people of the book. Did you hear that? Because the book's what teaches us to desire the work of the Holy Spirit. Right, and so listen to what we what it says. This is actually word for word quotation from the number one, the first, the inspired scriptures. The scriptures inspired. The scriptures, both the old and the new testaments, are the verbally inspired are verbally inspired of God and are the revelation of God to man. It is the infallible, authoritative rule of faith and conduct. And, I've, of course, I've known this for many years, and I read it periodically, and oddly enough, the very passages of Scripture that they use to affirm this particular number one and the 16 fundamental truths is 2 Timothy 3, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse number 13, and 2 Peter 1, verse number 21. That's why it's, it's not going to change. 
a hundred years from now, if Christ has not come back, and if you want to be a part, if your if you're descendants, your four descendants from who you now are alive today, and they're saying, man, I want to be a part of something that believes in the errancy of the Word of God, then where are they going to find themselves? They're going to find themselves in 1 Thessalonians 2 and 13 and say, you know what? I believe this book to not be the writings of men, but to be the voice of God captured by the pen of men, and it is the Word of Almighty God. Right? Nothing's going to change. You can try to destroy it, but I'm telling you what, men have tried to destroy the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E, for hundreds of years, only unsuccessfully to fail miserably, and God has preserved His Word. God will always preserve His Word. The problem with us in our generation is we neglect His Word. We fail to read it and ponder it. Now, concerning this, let's talk very briefly about infallibility. What does that mean? It is defined as incapable of making mistakes or being wrong, never failing, always, infect, always effective. It is in contrast to Roman Catholic doctrine. Roman Catholic doctrine is the belief in papal infallibility, which states that the Pope in his office is preserved from the possibility of error. And we got on the other side of that and said, now, we don't believe that a man can't be an heir. A man can be an heir. But the Word of God, God said of Himself, I'm not a man that I should lie, right? God's never been in error and He never will be. And so you can see in that context that we have a, a belief in the infallibility of the Word of God. So I want to take a moment and talk to you about Jesus for just a second because I believe in Jesus, right? I believe He was the revelation. I've quoted to you for two weeks simultaneously or back to back, and I'll do it one more time. Hebrews chapter number 1 Verse number one says, God at sundry times, what does that mean? And diverse manners, in past times and in many ways, God spake unto us by the prophets, but hath in these last days spoken unto us by who? By his son, by his son. And so we have a more sure word of prophecy because we believe in the person of Jesus Christ. I wasn't there, church family, when he was raised from the dead, but Peter was. Mary went into the tomb. Mary heard, and the Lord said, go to Galilee and tell my servant Peter I'll meet him there. Peter was, and Peter said, I have this more sure word of prophecy. Let me tell you what Jesus had to say about the word of God. Before you conclude that it's antiquated, before you conclude that it's too difficult for you to understand, let's just hear what Jesus had to say. Number one, Jesus said all scripture written about him had to be fulfilled. Had to be fulfilled. He said the word of God cannot be broken. Number two, Jesus noted the historical fact, not fables, referencing numerous events and persons in the Bible, such as Adam and Eve. Now, I know that people say, well, there's no way. Did you know there was a recent thing that's been floating around Facebook? It was even noted by Franklin Graham that they make a recent uh, discovery in the DNA code, and they're now even scientists are saying we're going to conclude that all human beings originated from a single set of parents. Well, now, isn't that just something just so profound to all of us that put our children in a Sunday school class where a teacher that was 75 years old and been teaching Sunday school for 40 years had brought little boys and girls into and put these, remember the little green board where they had the tearaways? And we, now we've got all the video, but they used to put them on the little placard things, and she would say, in the beginning, God created Come on, somebody. Male and female created he them. Come on, that's why I still believe it today. And if they would have asked me, I could have told them a long time ago. They didn't have to go through a complex DNA code. I could have just told them the Scripture said, in the beginning God created. And Jesus affirmed that belief. And I believe Jesus today, don't you? Jesus also taught us about Abel. Jesus mentioned by name Noah and the flood. 
Well, Pastor Brown, there's no way that that could have happened. That had to be. Well, listen, you weren't there. Every scientist that digs in the earth and tries to tell you what happened millions and millions of years ago, they were not there. But there was one who was there. He wrote about it in Job chapter 38 when he contended with man. And he said, where wast thou when I created the heavens and the earth? Answer me if you might. No, you can't answer because you weren't there, but God was there. And so I believe, yes, I believe, I don't think that's fairy tale. I don't think it's a cunningly devised fable. I think men had gotten so wicked and so evil that God determined that he was going to judge the entire world. But he chose out one man, one genealogy, one family, Noah, and he preserved Noah in the ark. And it sustained life for all humanity. Yes, I believe that because I believe in Jesus. Jesus referenced Solomon and Gomorrah, Lot and his wife, Isaac and Jacob, manna from heaven, a serpent on a pole, Jonah. Oh, Pastor Brown, now you really don't believe that. Surely you don't believe that a man was thrown overboard into the sea and a giant fish swallowed him up and he lived three days and three nights until the fish vomited him up out on the earth. Well, absolutely I believe it. Because it's a picture It was also, not only was it true, but it was a picture of when they put Jesus in the earth for three years, three days, and then on the third day, the earth spit him out. Come on, somebody. Yeah, oh yeah, I believe it. You may not. That's fine. Be a skeptic all you want to. The Word of God will not work in you, but it's going to work in me. You may not have joy. You may be on all these drugs just trying to find your peace. I get up in the morning without drugs. I get up in the morning without all that anxiety on my heart. Why? Because I know him and I know in whom I believe. And I'm firmly and fully persuaded that what he promised, he is faithful to perform. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Maybe you followed that way too long and now you may need just a simple childlike faith. God said it. I believe it. That's enough for me. Let me go down a little farther. He believed in Daniel and a lion's den. Oh, I know that's a child's book story. I know. Isaiah, Moses, and David. He believed certain books were written by the men whose names they bear. Let me hurry. Oh, he believed the Old Testament to be spoken by God. He said, you will not live by bread alone. He said, man, it's not designed by God. I know you stuffed yourself. I'm wearing black today because Ann gave the color. She said, we know we've all eaten too much over the last few days, so wear dark colors. It'll help. But Jesus said this. He said, as much of good food as you can have, you cannot really live apart from the Word of God. Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by the Word of God. Jesus used the Scriptures in his rebuke of Satan. Did y'all hear that? I would detour, so I won't, but Jesus spoke the Word. You say, Pastor Brown, I feel like I'm oppressed and demonic spirits, and if I could just have this and I could have that. No, I'll tell you, all you need is a word in your heart. I told the men at the other side the other day, I said, I heard a preacher years ago that said, you can run the devil off with the begats if you have the anointing on your life just right. If you have the anointing on your life and you understand the authority of the Word of God, you can chase the devil right out of your life. You can resist the devil and he will flee from you. I know so many of you have been taught in your mind that, you know what, it's this constant struggle, this constant battle, and the devil, and you've deified him, and you put him up here on a throne somewhere. But I came along to tell you today, the Word of God says he's a fallen angel, and you can bruise him under your feet by the power of the Word of God. But you've got to know it and believe it. If you don't believe it, it ain't going to work for you. But it's going to work in all of us who believe. Jesus used the Scripture as the basis for his own teaching. 
He warned against replacing it with something else or adding to it. And he quoted directly from 24 books of the Old Testament. Yes, Jesus did. And then the apostles were commissioned, and I'm getting ready to close. The apostles are commissioned by Jesus to teach us to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Is that right? He even promised the Holy Spirit would bring all things to their remembrance. Peter would later testify, we have a more sure word of prophecy. Listen to this very quickly. John himself, John the Beloved, writes, This is the disciple which testifieth of these things. And he wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did. He said, which if they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Wow. He's saying that he did so much while he was here that he said that the earth itself could tilt off of its axis if we tried to write down everything that he said or did. But listen, that's what he said. But these are written. Why are they written? That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing you might have a life through his name. And I love the little addendum to that that he wrote. That was in the gospel, but now it's in the epistle. He said, these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. That your joy may be full. So as I'm closing today, though oddly enough, the apostle who gives us the majority of the New Testament, I want you to know the scriptures. The 13 out of the 14 books in the, uh, that could be the apostles out of the 27 books of the New Testament come to us not from Peter, James, or John, or Matthew, Mark, who's not an apostle, but is numbered with them, and Luke and such. But it's a man by the name of Saul who was later had his name changed to Paul, correct? That's who wrote the epistle that we read, 1 Thessalonians 2. He's converted on the Damascus road. He sees a vision of Jesus. So yes, he is an eyewitness account, not in the same stature of the first apostles, but he did have a personal eyewitness account of Jesus, correct? Oddly enough, after his conversion, he did not, he said this by his own self. He said, I didn't confer with flesh and blood. He said, I went into Arabia. Why Arabia? Is it possible that he went to Arabia because he himself said that Mount Sinai was in Arabia? Is it possible that the apostle went to the very mountain where God took Moses to thousands of years earlier? And the Moses that came down from the mountain with the doctrine of the law, Paul comes back with the doctrine of grace. I don't know. It makes, good, it makes for good preaching. Here's what Paul's desire for all of us. Listen to this, and I'm closing. I'm going to give you five bullet points in closing. But Paul's desire for you is this. Ephesians 3 and 4, he said, when you read... And if you don't read, you won't get it. He said, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. That's the will of God for your life. you got to understand the knowledge of God through Christ, the mystery of Christ. So here's my conclusion. Here's what I hear a lot about, and I see a lot of preaching, and that lacks a little bit of a scriptural basis. I'm going to say five bullet points to you. Are you all okay with that? And Aaron, you can begin to make your way up here to join me. That makes people feel a lot more relieved because they think, man, he's just been in one book, and there's 65 other books. If, 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 I, if I'd go through all of them, if I knew it would cause you to be rooted and grounded, I would. That's how much I care for you. Because I know what's coming. I know what we're already seeing, and I know what's coming. And that is there's such an onslaught against the Christian faith. There's such an onslaught against it. And people are, fo- are they're folding that because of the, the pressure and because of the, uh, the accusations and, and all things that the enemies at work. And it really stems from this right here. It stems from the fact that we're not rooted and grounded in what we believe. 
Because if we really believed it, it would produce such a life in us that I don't care what type of onslaught they put against us. It wouldn't take away our belief in God and our faith in the Word of God. Number one, if you really want to know God, and if you really want to know about God, then you've got to know the Scriptures. And that's really profound, isn't it? But there's a lot of people walking around there, and they're like, we want these mystical encounters. We're like, oh, if I could just see him on the Damascus road like Paul, or if I could see him on Mount Sinai like Moses. Let me tell you, you can see him. You can know him. You can commune with him. And you can hear his voice if you know the Scriptures. Right there. Know the Scriptures. Everything that I know about God, and I don't know very much, But everything I do know about God and everything that I do understand about God comes from the Word of God. Did y'all hear that? Comes from the Word of God. So if you want to deepen your fellowship with God, then you've got to know the Scriptures. It's just that plain. It's that simple. Number two, let me tell you this about God. What one of the few things I do know about. God is synonymous with His Word. We use the term God, the name God, kind of generically. But when I'm talking, I'm referencing Father God who's revealed himself to us through his son, Jesus Christ. You want to know God, God is synonymous with his word. If his word fails, he fails. If his word isn't true, then God's not true. But I've already said it. God said, I'm not a man that I should lie. I believe God is true, don't you? Number three God has faithfully preserved His Word. This is powerful. You've got to catch this today. So that the Scriptures that you have in your hands are the same Scriptures that were used in the temple, used in the synagogue of the first century, the same Scriptures taught by Jesus and quoted by the disciples. Did y'all hear that? Now that's three of five. But let me expound that. Did you know the psalmist said this, The words of the Lord are pure words, God shall keep them, and God shall preserve them. God's preserved His Word. Let me give you a brief example of this. It's very exciting when you think about it. When we think about the inerrancy of Scripture or the infallibility of Scripture, we're not saying that in translation sometimes there are not mistakes made. We're not saying there's not copyist errors. What we're saying is that the very first record, the God breathed that was captured by the first person that heard it and wrote it down, that was infallible and in error. Inerrant scriptures, what we believe. That's, that's the belief of the assemblies of God and many. And you know that in what, for many, many years, the only copies of the Old Testament uh, that we had uh, were from the 900 time period, the Masoretic text. I don't know a lot about it. Dr. Brassville could easily step in here and finish this sermon and tell you more about it. But I'll do so just real, real quickly. And so that was our, that was the oldest text. So like now it's 2018, so the oldest text was 1,000 years. Uh, uh, old, and, and, but, but some of the things were written were written from thousands of years earlier. And so there was a lot of debate by scholars that, that surely it changed and, and it didn't look the same and everything until in 1947, there was a Bedouin uh, shepherd in an area called Qumram in Israel. I bet y'all visited it. And that shepherd was looking for a sheep that he thought might have strayed and he found a little cave. He was afraid to go in, so he threw a rock through the entrance of the cave, and he heard the sound of a clay, something clay breaking. And it aroused his curiosity, and he went in, and he discovered scrolls inside there. 
He didn't know what to do with them, so they kind of passed them around. It took several years before it was fully discovered that it was a, a group of people that had been living out there uh, from the, the, around the time of the first century. And there, in, in, there, was, there was hundreds of copies of manuscripts, but one in particular was an entire copy of the book of Isaiah. 66 chapters, you have it in your Bible. And when they studied it, they found apart from slight copyist errors or punctuation that the very book of Isaiah that you have in your hand today is the same book of Isaiah that they had 2,000 years ago. What's that do? I told the men the other side when we're trying to see them change, I said, what's exciting about this is that the very same tablet that contained the will and the word of God that God gave to Moses is the same tablet that I'm putting in your hand today. God's chosen to preserve his word. The key is, will you allow it to work effectually in your heart? Will you believe it? Number four, you want to hear God's voice. I hear this all the time. Oh, if I could just hear the voice of God. God's speaking to me. And we're waiting for an angel or we're waiting for a prophet We're waiting for something supernatural slash mystical, and we're missing the most supernatural element, capacity to hear the voice of God. Even if God speaks to you, it has to be in harmony and consistent with the Scripture, or it would be a false voice speaking to you. Lastly, number five, if you want to know the will of God for your life, I guess I've been on my soapbox for three weeks, and I don't know, maybe I'm finished. Here's the last one. I'm closing with this one right here. If you seated here today, say, Pastor Brown, man, just help. I'm just trying to find the will of God for my life. I just, I just want to find the will of God for my life. Well, let me just listen. I'll, get, I'll just help you with that today. Then get to know the Scriptures. Because from the Scriptures, you'll discover the will of God for your life. You'll learn your identity. You'll learn your purpose. You'll learn your role and your responsibility. You'll learn how to be a husband. You'll learn how to be a wife. You'll learn how to be a father. You'll learn how to be a mother. The molding and the shaping of your virtue, your character, will all come from the Scriptures. It will. You won't be who you used to be because you're compelled to be what He wants you to be. Your worldview will change. You will believe in the creation of men. You'll believe in the fall of man, and you'll believe in the glorious redemption of man according to the Scriptures. Yes, you will. Paul said this, if you receive this teaching as the Word of God, not the Word of men, he said it will effectually work in you that believe. And here's my last closing argument. If you don't believe it, it won't work in you. But if you believe it, and you read it, and meditate upon it, and you hear it, It's a living entity. It will produce life inside you. And it will change you from the inside out. I want to ask you all to stand up with me today. Do you believe the scriptures? Do you believe that today? Do you believe it?